Craig, Craig was with us here maybe nearly two years ago, um, and uh, probably for the same conference, I, I, I guess. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, it's not snowing today, so that's, it's an improvement, um, which is, is very nice. Um, Craig's pastor of uh, Baptist Church in uh, Cape Town, yes. um, and part of the New Wine Network. Um, but we'll just tell us a little bit about how you ended up connecting to the UK, and uh, what's on your heart for your trip this week. Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everybody. I, um, we're here with the New Wine uh, Connection, and how we made that connection is, is several years ago, in fact, in 2004. Um, actually, I'm in my sermon already because I was going to use this as an illustration. Um, we were in a space where we just realized, uh, to put it simply, God, you're doing something on the planet, and I'm missing out. We're missing out. Please take us to people who are seeing you at work in significant ways that we are not connecting to. And it was a long story, and we wrote to different folk. We even sold our house to get the air tickets, uh, only to find that when we arrived in July, the people we had written to were all on leave because they live in England. Um, and it seemed to be a complete dead end, but... Uh, one friend of ours had said, well, there's this conference down in Shepton Mallet. Um, and, uh, and so we went along to that and didn't know a soul or anything like that, but happened to be billeted right next door to John and Anne Coles, uh, who are, uh, some of you may know, significantly involved in the leadership and relationship built both there and in South Africa and, uh, and a significant journey for us to, as certainly in the South African Baptist scene, step consciously into a kingdom theology, uh, a desire to see God at work and not miss out. And um, you've come over for the, there's the New Wine Leaders Conference up in Harrogate, yes. uh, but you're also going to see uh, at least one of your sons uh, while you're here? Yes, Nathan is at Manchester... Our, our middle son, Nathan, is studying at Manchester Met University. Yeah. So, so what, what's your uh, hope for this week? Yeah. Just a refresh. I'm also bringing a colleague over from South Africa. Um, the South African setting, New Wine, had become denominationally and sadly somewhat racially uh, and culturally profiled. And so real hard longing to see kingdom theology connecting with uh, indigenous, black, South African leaders and churches. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's pray for Craig as he brings God's word. Father, thank you so much that uh, none of us can stand before you as uh, people who are worthy of you. But as we look into your scripture now, we pray that you will speak into our hearts and that we might hear your calling on our lives, and your plans and purposes for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Richard. I'm infinitely better this time around because Cindy is with me. Last time I preached, she wasn't with me, and I'm really so grateful. Um, it's good to travel and do ministry, but man, it's just awesome to do it together. So my love, I know it was a long flight, and... Uh, and we literally landed a couple of hours ago. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I was, I'm sort of reminded of a, of, a, of a story of a South African airline where um, 
two pilots came, and as they were heading towards the, uh, towards the aircraft, one had a guide dog and the other had a white cane, and they both had dark glasses on. And the passengers noticed these men making their way and, you know, guiding themselves past the passengers and then going in, and they thought, oh, it's a joke, it's a joke. Any case, duly, as things happened, the two, um, you know, stewardesses closed up and, and uh, the aircraft taxied out and they got on and they asked for clearance for takeoff and takeoff was duly granted and they start barreling down the runway and, uh, and they're barreling down the runway and they're barreling down the runway and the, uh, the passengers are wondering what's going on and eventually they can't stand it no longer and they all start to scream and as they scream, they take off beautifully and the one pilot turns to the other and says, one day they're not going to scream and we're all going to die. <laughs> Some of the weather on our way made me feel a little bit like that. But it's good to be with you indeed and to be in, uh, yeah, together with Richard and Nicola and a special relationship uh, that we do enjoy with them and by virtue of that with your church. So we're going to pick up our scripture, and I want to talk about this idea of, of chosen. It's quite a loaded theological space. Um, one occasion, the Apostle Peter is praying in the New Testament in Joppa. He gets a vision of things he would call unclean. God tells him, get up, kill, and eat. Peter refuses, and he calls it unclean, and God responds, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And God was, of course, talking about people that Peter was disqualifying. The Gentiles, the nations. Peter believes that they are disqualified, they are not chosen. And so he says, do not disqualify what I have qualified. And the challenge is that for most of us, when you look at scripture, we most often actually spend our time disqualifying not others, but often ourselves. And, and Jesus explains often the people in your hometown that the prophet is without honor in his hometown. And so those of us who are closest to us, we often struggle. Jesus says this, compare this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now they... Trying to, if you notice there, that is the Victoria Falls, and we really are standing on the edge with a precious export from uh, CW4, and, uh, and, and that is Lizzie and our daughter Amy, and we went up to a family wedding. It was only about a 3,000-mile drive, um, and uh, we did it in four days. And if you know Africa's roads, you'll know that was quite an accomplishment. That's why Lizzie's looking so nervous over there, because that's about a 100-meter drop uh, just to her right. We can go to the next slide, and you can see we're in some of the places around Victoria Falls and uh, the Zambezi, just so that you know that she's actually also having a good time. Um, and, and she's not just being made to work, although we all did suffer a great deal from sleep deprivation during that. So we can go to the next slide, which is that reading from John chapter 15 and verse 16. It was a very significant thing. We find that word choose and chosen. We, a very significant thing for Peter to write to a mixed congregation of Jew and Gentile 
and say to them in the language of the Old Testament, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Next slide. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So today our reading brings us to a story where somebody else was seemingly disqualified. And I really want us to kind of think about this thing, why we disqualify. By the way, was that a Durban accent I heard there? All over South Africa. There we go. I was picking it up. Okay. In just before 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul had been appointed king of Israel, but through his rebellion, through his insecurity, through his selfishness, he has been rejected by God as king. And, and so God comes to Samuel. He says, why are you still grieving for Saul? I mean, that's quite a thought. God has moved on. Samuel is stuck in the past. God is saying, you know it's over. And in one sense, that was an experience that I was going through in 2004. Being in a space where having worked on something, having aspired to something and been involved in seemingly very successful stuff, at the same time, Paul sometimes says, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. I just knew this, the avenue I was in was not going to produce life. And I'm on planet, I know you're on planet Earth, and I'm not seeing the fullness of what you're doing. Please take me to someone who can show me, connect me, awaken me. If we go to reasons to disqualify. When Samuel comes, Samuel knows this is treason. Saul will kill me. Why? Because somebody else was already king. Saul was there. The second reason to disqualify is, of course, there was an heir in place. Prince Jonathan was an outstanding and brave prince in Israel. He had a, he had a wonderful faith in Yahweh. But probably the, the toughest thing in this space was David's own family's attitude towards him. And it's interesting, our story will end where it describes the anointing of David in the presence of his brothers, the ones who would disqualify him. In the presence of those who just didn't give a moment's thought that this little kid could be God's solution and answer to the nation. And almost all the reasons they used to disqualify him were, were reasons David could not change. And there are many reasons. And I don't know what the words are that, that you might feel are almost like a sentence of death to a heart that wants to see and serve God in London. But in South Africa, we have disqualifying words. Words like colored or foreigner or black or white or single or divorced or woman or too young or too old. And if you think about those disqualifying words, 
Nobody can change them. You can't change the year you were born. You can't change the color of your skin. You're not meant to. You can't change the sequence you were born in your family. None of the things that were used to disqualify David were things he had any power of. And yet he was chosen. You see, God's choice qualifies the disqualified. And we read in Acts 13 verse 36 that David served the purposes of God in his generation. That's his epitaph. By the way, Samuel's epitaph was in our passage in the beginning of verse 4. This is a little throwaway line. And I I know the story is actually about Samuel, and I haven't got time to unpack that interesting part. I'm, I'm really zeroing in on David. But he only comes into our reading, really, at the end. Is not so. But this magnificent line, it's worth thinking about. How's this for an epitaph? Samuel did what the Lord said. Tony did what the Lord said. Sarah did what the Lord said. What an epitaph. God wants to come and stir up that which qualifies us. God has one qualifying word. It's the word chosen. Are you colored? You're chosen. Are you a foreigner? You're chosen. Are you black? You're chosen. Are you white? You're chosen. Are you single? You're chosen. Are you divorced? You're chosen. Are you, are you a woman? You're chosen. Are you a man? You're chosen. Are you, are you young? You're chosen. Are you old? You're chosen. In South Africa, we play a swimming pool game. Swimming pools are when it gets hot. Um, we put on bathing trunks and we dive into large bodies of water. I'm not sure you use have the same function here, but uh, yeah, we can, we, we can use them about six months of the year. I know I'm bragging. And we play this game called Marco Polo. Anyone know that game, Marco Polo? And so the kids go into the pool and, and then you've got to close your eyes, the person who's on. It's like playing touches, but they cry out Marco and everybody else whose heads are above the water have got to shout Polo and you've got to keep your eyes closed and swim around the pool and try and touch someone. And of course, people cheat. They peep. Now the interesting thing is that when you think about the image of justice, you know the statues and the representations of justice that we have, justice is always a lady who is blindfolded and she has a sword and a pair of scales. And you'll be weighed in the scale. But it's because that which is innately fair and just is not supposed to discriminate. It's not supposed to see. So that at a human level, because of our fallibility, we can't disadvantage anyone. The wonderful thing is that God always judges and God always chooses with his eyes wide open. God, you know, we look at the outside, and if you want to be fair, you've got to learn to close your eyes. You've got to play Marco Polo properly. But God never chooses with his eyes shut. God looks at something else. 
He's choosing with his eyes wide open. And because he is so utterly and completely good and gracious, there's no danger to us when God chooses with his eyes open. Human justice has to be blind. God's justice is with full sight. And you know when God chooses, what was revealed at Pentecost is God gives his spirit to young and to old, to rich and to poor, to male and to female. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, all people. And the interesting thing is we read in the book of Acts as it goes on, the apostles would go along laying hands not just on a few, but now on every believer, seeking to give them that same kind of experience that David exclusively received when Samuel ministered to him at his hometown. There's a shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament that not everybody has applied their mind sufficiently to, in my opinion. In which, if there was one king, there couldn't be another king. But now Peter looks and says, we have a kingly priesthood, a whole people. And so that which was individualistic and focused on the individual is now released to a people. And that which was exclusive under an old covenant has become radically inclusive in Jesus. Chosen, chosen. Now remember this, the story adds appearance. I mean, it tells us David was a looker, ladies. I mean, he was a boyki, as we say in South Africa. And... And he was young and he was healthy and he was radiant and good looking and his brothers were tall and all the rest of it. But God looks at the heart. You see, we disqualify ourselves by things we can't change. God qualifies us by looking at the one thing he can change. A heart in the hands of God can be made Completely new. And David is described to Samuel. And Samuel prophesies to Saul, God will find someone after his own heart. You know, God isn't going to change your gender or mine or your race or your height or your family of origin or the year you were born or the sequence thereof within your family. He isn't going to change my heritage of bald heads and big ears or whatever but he is going to change my heart. And he moves us by putting his spirit inside us. We often disqualify ourselves from the heart with words like, I'm afraid, I'm unworthy, I'm ashamed, I'm unclean. And as God said to Peter, don't disqualify what I can qualify. Don't shut down what God can do in your life. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. You've not received a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, self-control. 
And so what was exclusive for David is now inclusive for us. But notice this. David did need to receive ministry. Samuel was absolutely emphatic. This wasn't just about picking someone. It was about ministering to that boy. We will not sit down until he comes. And he prioritizes an encounter for David. And he expects something to happen in his life when he takes oil and in an act of prophetic symbolism puts his hands on him and anoints him and prays over him and declares a new reality in David's life. For the Lord had said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so in the presence of those who disqualified him came the power of God. Now notice this, the fulfillment was, I mean, it was totally God. It was totally an accurate prophetic word. But the fulfillment in David's life was very messy. I mean, from that day on, God was with him in power. And something began to happen when he, when he played the harp, when he, when he went to war, when he volunteered for anything, things changed from that day on. But, but he wasn't king. In fact, he was hunted like a criminal. No, he was hunted like an animal. And there must be times when he wondered about that day and that prophetic word and that encounter and that experience. doesn't mean that when God spoke a calling and a stirring about a ministry or a direction or an influence or a person in your life, that just because it got messy afterwards, it wasn't God. And so don't cancel that, which God has already done. We read at the end of David's life. In a moment of breathless wonder when he wanted to build a temple for Yahweh. And Nathan the prophet initially says, go for it, God's with you. And then God comes to Nathan and says, hey. And then he goes back and he says, no, it's not you. Your legacy is not what you will build for God. Your legacy will always be what God has built for you. And then he gets a promise that he's going to have a son. We will build something that will last for all eternity. And it's the overlap and the bifocal prophetic application that carries from Solomon into Jesus. And David goes to the house of God. And he sits stunned. And he says this, who am I? At the end, when all those dreams had been fulfilled, when he served the purposes of God, who am I that you should do this for me? Who is my family? Psalm 8. What is a person that you even think about us? You need to know God thinks deeply about you. He loves you. And he wants you to know, in spite of whatever may disqualify you, he speaks a different word. He speaks a word of love. 
He speaks a word that says chosen. You are mine. So turn to the person next to you and tell them this. I am qualified. Tell them. I am qualified. I am qualified to serve God's purposes. To serve God's purposes in my generation. In my generation. Need that again? I am qualified to serve God's purposes in my generation. Because what was individual has now become universal to the people of God. Thank you.